0: I get up in the morning and I try to do things the same way every day. And that is just because I feel like a schedule helps me know what to count on and know what I'm responsible for. And something about it just allowing me to be in control of my days. And I have a couple of, you know, young children and and I don't always get to control my time. But when I do, I feel like I'm more productive.
1: Welcome to the Become a Writer Today podcast with Brian Collins. Here you'll find practical advice and interviews for all kinds of writers. If you've been writing for a while, sooner or later, you're going to want somebody to read your work. Hi there, my name is Brian Collins and welcome to the Become a Writer Today podcast. Lately, I've been reflecting on newsletters. Why newsletters? Well, social media is great and all for, you know, publishing your blog posts and your articles, but well, let's face it, people are overwhelmed with all of the information on social media. Whereas when something goes into your inbox, it can feel a little bit more personal. So a couple of months ago, I set up my own newsletter on a platform called Substack. Uh, Substack actually takes all the technical headache out of starting the newsletter. Basically, you set up an account and then all you have to do is publish content and it will send it straight to people's inbox or to their email account. And your job then is to simply you know, create the content. And if you can attract subscribers to your newsletter. There's a little bit more to it than that, of course. I mean, attracting subscribers takes a bit of work. So what I've been doing is writing articles on platforms like Medium. So I'll write articles about topics like creativity or writing or even parenting or more colorful pieces or entrepreneurship or business. And I'll put a call to action at the bottom of those posts. And that call to action will take people over to my Substack newsletter. And they'll be prompted then to either read an article for free or to join the newsletter. And of course, a platform like Substack also helps writers monetize their work because if you have a certain amount of subscribers, you can ask people to start paying. And I've been wondering lately about whether to ask people to pay to support the newsletter because there there is a cost in terms of time and maybe some tools that you might use but also whether you should ask people to pay because they want additional content. So for example, some insider articles or perhaps audio versions of those articles. So these were the types of questions that I had when I started my newsletter a couple of months ago. And I still had some of these questions. So I found a community that helps people, that helps creative professionals who have started a newsletter. And the community is called IndieMailer. And basically, you can go into IndieMailer and you can ask all these questions and get answers from other people who've started and grown profitable newsletter businesses. And their founder is Terry Gaudier. And I recently had the chance to catch up with Terry. And that's what we talk about in this week's podcast interview. Terry explains how we got into setting up newsletters in the first place. And he also talks about some, his, one of his other newsletter ventures, Panoply. Terry also explains you know, how often somebody should publish a newsletter, what goes into making a good name for your newsletter and also when you should monetize and how much you should charge. In other words, all those questions that might be holding you back as a writer from earning a living from your work online. There's lots of other things we get into in the interview. But before we start, I do have an ask, if you've enjoyed the Become a Writer Today podcast to date, or if you're enjoying this episode, if you could leave a review on the iTunes store or wherever you're listening to the podcast, because when you leave a review or even when you rate the show, it will help more readers find it or more listeners in that in this case. So more listeners will find the Become a Writer Today podcast that will obviously help the show grow um, a lot faster and help more writers. So if you're enjoying the content or if you enjoy this week's interview with Terry, you can take a moment to leave a review and rate the show. That would really mean a lot now, let's get over to this week's interview where I catch up with Terry. And I started by asking him to give me a bit of background about how he set up the community for newsletter writers, the Mailer. And I was surprised when he told me he's been doing this since 2002. I started
0: out doing internet marketing in 2002. I was in high school. I was 15 years old. And uh, I was doing something called SEO before I even knew that other people were doing it as well, trying to get things ranked in the various search engines and i continued doing that until i stumbled across you know some communities of people that were doing that and i realized there was a name for what i was doing and there was a lot of firsthand information that i could leverage and learn from other people's mistakes so i became a part of that community and in a large way you know that community has kind of shaped how i think about the web and that early community has kind of shaped how i think about marketing in many ways so that is all i've ever done never done anything else other than the marketing stuff and in 2013 I had an opportunity to come on board with one of the largest media companies in the world. It's CBS Interactive at that time, which is now called ViacomCBS. And they have a roster of websites that are really unrivaled. you know. And, and I think there are only maybe four or five other networks that are larger than them in terms of traffic. And those are all advertising networks, as far as I'm aware. So what I did there was SEO, which is help journalists get their content found in search in a large way. And what I started to see five or six years into that was I started to see that many of these journalists were unhappy with what they were writing about. And this is not an indictment of that model or most certainly an indictment of you know traditional publishing, at least insofar as the web is concerned. What this is, is that I think many of those times they're kind of incentivized to write towards things that audiences have a commercial slant to. These are things that are more in the interest of advertisers than they are in the interest of of the people reading the content in many ways. And so what I saw happening was that these journalists were leaving their posts, many of them due to layoffs and furloughs and things like that, but leaving their posts, and then they were writing about the same topics for much smaller audiences, and their content was resonating much deeper, and they were able to create a business out of this. So these were things like, the first one that I ran across was Stratechery, which is Ben Thompson, which is fantastic. It's a startup resource, and he writes about, basically, B-school analysis of tech, you know, high tech, from a business standpoint and a product standpoint. So then I ran across Cynicism, which covers China, which seemed to be doing incredibly well, and then just kind of went from there, and I ran across Substack through that, and I started really kind of feeling out this ecosystem that that I knew intuitively had to exist. But once I opened the door to that, it really existed in a way that I didn't know before, right? So what I decided to do was leave CBS and focus on doing this myself, because if I hearken back to kind of where my career was launched and where I came from, it was being a member of communities. And it was talking about things in an open way and sharing what I had learned. And what I didn't see happening was, I didn't see that happening within the paid newsletter or small newsletter space. Really, the people that dominate that news cycle and the people that dominate the conversation there are service providers. And these are people that want to sell an email platform or want to sell a tool or something like that. And I didn't see the organic conversation happening, which is always been the most valuable conversation in my opinion. So I decided to build it. And that's where we ended up with IndieMailer. And I arrived at that. I didn't want to start out doing that. I wanted to try to build my own newsletter first, which I did, which is called Conversion Gold. And that kind of just wrapped up all my thoughts and my ideas on marketing websites and trying to build websites that users love. And the obvious you know, answer there is, once you do that, you you make more sales. So that was what that was focused around. And through doing that, I learned a lot. And through doing that, I tried to find the resources. So it also validated and confirmed the need for a community of like-minded people, to where we could share the information. So that's how Indy Mailer was born.
1: That's a great story. I actually worked as a journalist years ago, and I can certainly empathize with having to write something that the newspaper or publication wants versus what you might want to write about. And I guess when I started my newsletter, it's only going a few months. You know, my first thought was how to get traffic. To the newsletter because although I'm familiar with SEO for a blog, it feels a little bit different for newsletters. You know, to help to find that audience. So what I've been doing is uh, writing on publications like Medium, and then just having a call to action at the bottom of those posts and sending people towards the newsletter, which will be briancollins.com. So your community is quite active in the mailer. How did you get so many people to join? Well, I'm good at the marketing side, (laughs)
0: and and, you know, my entire thing, right? Like, I don't claim to be really good at anything other than thinking clearly. That is what I focus yeah. on. I've learned that the biggest value that I've ever created for myself or for clients or for anyone out doing any client work anymore, but when I did was yeah. thinking for myself and not doing things the way that they've always been done. So the obvious answer is also the real answer, like the simplest answer I can give you. And that is I found people that wanted to do the same thing. And then I went out there yeah. and I told them that I was building a place for them. And that's really what I did. And it just so happens that like I know the devil's in the details. And in a large way, that community came from IndieHackers.com, which is where people go to talk about the small products that they're building or they're starting to build a product. And it's a very similar community. It's just focused around web-based businesses like, like building software as a service products or apps or things like that. And this, you know, I built something kind of similar to that, but it's specific to newsletter. Because the information and the actionable information is so esoteric, I felt like it needed its own place.
1: So what would you say is the difference between somebody who has an email list versus a newsletter? So
0: an email list versus a newsletter. I think that is a semantic difference and not one that I really would conform to. Like, I don't really see the arbitrary line there that other people have drawn. I think okay. that in my mind, like my reaction to that question was kind of like, okay, so an email list is, makes me feel like that's built for the business and that's the way for the business to generate sales. A newsletter makes me feel like there's an editorial, like a curation aspect, or maybe a more authentic product and an authentic voice. And and to be very clear with you, those are the ones that I'm interested in. And I think that the former should probably just disappear because I've never really seen them work that well for businesses, You know, like like 10% open rates, 5% open rates. It's absolutely ridiculous. Whereas if you actually bring somebody in, like if you're a business, if you bring somebody in that has an interesting voice and an interesting take on things, it's going to be better for your business. Like That has always been my hypothesis. As long as I've been able to think about these things, stop building things for the business behind them. I always build things for users. And that's always been the most successful products that I've had where I've been able to
1: do that. Very good. And I guess what I think of, like I use ConvertKit for my site, Become a Writer today. And what I would do is I would send information about like a podcast interview like this one to people on the email list. Whereas the difference in the way I'm using Substack is, you know, I just published the article on Substack and it automatically sends the article out into people's inboxes. So, So I guess I've noticed that if it's going directly into the inbox, you know, more people are going to read it. Whereas if it's, you know, what would be a broadcast email in a tool like ConvertKit or MailChimp, you know, it might have a lower open rate like you mentioned, or not everybody's going to click through and read the article.
0: Yeah, and I think it's also, if you think about it, right? And if you reason back to first principles on this, which I'm always known to do, the incentive is different. Like the deal that you've entered into with the person receiving the email is different. You know, the emails where you send out the shows, that is a transactional relationship, largely is what that is. The other side of it is more of a personal relationship. And I think that that it's a choice that you make. And you make that for your business, you make that for yourself, depending on what your projects are. And I think there are pros and cons to both and but it's always you always tie it back to what do people expect, and that 's how you know that you're going to build yeah. something that's going to be well received. Email largely, yeah. in my opinion, has always been a dominant medium, like a dominant channel for internet marketing in general, when I say internet marketing that's associated with a lot of really weird kind of scammy stuff and what have you. Uh, I just mean telling people about things on the internet that's that 's largely what i 'm talking about. Email has been around forever and will continue to be around. Well, you have social media platforms that kind of ebb and flow. And then you also have the the algorithm, right? The almighty algorithm that dictates whether your content is found and dictates whether or not, you know, the audience comes to you in the first place. And second of all, once you do are in the audience, it dictates whether or not you can reach them again. Email, you can always reach them again until they say that you can't, right? The power is in the inbox. The power is with the person receiving your email and not, at the hands of an algorithm. And I think that leads to maybe even better outcomes for the person that subscribes. So you mentioned there that
1: you know you consider marketing as one of your strengths and that you have a background in SEO. So um, SEO has helped me like with my site. But I'm, I'm curious about like a newsletter. Should you figure out your target audience first and try and publish content where, where they're already reading or engaged or is there some other strategy you'd recommend?
0: Yeah. So discoverability is the number one problem with newsletters. And it's As far as I can tell, that's always been true. And the largest, the the examples of newsletters that we have that have done really, really well have had help. And that often comes in the form, like the Motley Fool, I think is like the largest newsletter that I've seen and probably the most successful from a revenue standpoint that I'm aware of anyway. And you would be remiss though, by saying that that is just a newsletter business. They are an entire publishing company. They are a media company that has a newsletter product right? So they've had a lot of help in building that. Discoverability is always the number one problem with newsletters. And I think platforms, that's one reason to choose Substack, for example, is they have kind of tried to solve the discoverability problem. But the way that I see independent creators doing it is they write about things for the newsletter, and then they have this other stuff that they write about that's public. And like the traditional model that I've seen looking at like the Substack writers, for example, is that they do, you know, three posts a week and two are public and one is private or, you know, the inverse of that. That's often what you get. I did that for a while and I was really careful not to try to overcommit myself because that's producing a lot of content because you seem to be kind of in conflict with the goal because... If you're producing two pieces of free content, then what's so special about the one paid piece of content, right? Other than it's good for my business to do it this way. How can you actually make a compelling case that this other piece of content is the best thing that I've made this week and I need to be rewarded for that? And these other things are kind of mediocre. Well, then why are you doing them? So that's always been the thing that I struggle to understand. So in fact, like platforms like Patreon and so on, I think have kind of impacted my thinking on this, where you have to kind of change the deal a little bit. You have to think about what am I actually being compensated, remunerated for? Am I being compensated for like access to this piece of content? Or am I being compensated for the work that I'm doing? And I think once you can kind of handle that conversation, and once you get buy-in that helps you run your operation, and I think... Patreon's done a really good job of helping people establish milestones and things at this level. We'll be able to do this. Not that you're going to get this in addition, but at this level, you'll we'll be able to do this. Yep. I think that's the right conversation to be having with your audience. And I think that makes sense. And where I'm going with this, okay, I'm, I'm going towards the discovery thing. So then, if we agree that most people are making a mistake of not putting out their best content, then what is the incentive for people to discover you and how can they know what to expect? I'm a believer that you should put out your best content, right? And then you should ask for support for the rest of the stuff. Or you should repurpose the content in a different format. You should do something else. When I was yep. doing Conversion Gold, that was two newsletters a month. That's all that was. And the first newsletter was you know, a 1,500-word piece about a specific marketing principle or web design or whatever. And the second was all the reader questions. People would write in and ask for clarification on things or ask for specific advice, and I would answer all those questions. That's what I was doing. And still to this day, when I talk to people and they ask me about that experience that I had with that, because it did go on to be fairly successful, at least by my standards, they were so surprised that I was able to write so infrequently. And the reason is that newsletter basically went out of the gate to you know a couple thousand subscribers. And that's because I had friends. I had help, right? I didn't do that myself. I never gave my content the job of acquiring new readers for me. That was never a job that I gave any page on my website or any of the content because that's a lot to ask of something. I really only want to ask my content to be good, right? I need to ask myself to produce something that's worth reading and that's helpful to people and actionable for people. So I knew that I wasn't going to be able to create a bunch of marketing content for the discovery side of things. So I had to reach out to other people that were running newsletters and say, here's what I'm doing. Here's what it looks like. If you think it 's good, would you mind sharing it? In fact, many of those people did
1: yeah, I like that because sometimes when you 're creating content on on a blog and particularly if you 're optimizing it for search, you know might have a couple of different goals in mind from providing information to you know getting organic traffic around a key search term
0: yeah it 's the incentive again it 's the incentive argument. I always think very clearly, and this is one of the things that perhaps that i 'm known for, one of the reasons that people you know subscribe to Panoply or what have you is because. I think about things at a fundamental level. At least I try to. I work really hard to. And it's my belief that if you're selling content, if you're in the business of content, your product needs to be the best product you can build. And that's the content. And I think that by building that content, if you're giving it that job, right? If you've given yourself that job to produce that, it's very difficult when you start stacking on incentives. And that's the key point is marketing content looks different than really good subscriber content. I truly believe that. I haven't seen a piece that would go both ways. And I'm sure there are examples, but it's just much easier to kind of bucket two things, right? So you just got to go on the expectation that that's the way it's going to be.
1: So you're, you're, I mean, you've got a lot lot of experience in the area, Terry, but for somebody who's new or like a creative starting off, is Substack the easiest place for them to create their first newsletter or would you recommend another approach?
0: Yeah, the simplest way to do it, I think is, is Substack for sure. Or any platform like it, right? Like any platform like it. And what I mean by that is, go somewhere that they take care of everything and all you have to do is write. Yeah. There's a lot of value in removing all of the obstacles to putting something out because writing is hard enough. Like I am not traditionally a writer. I am not someone that was trained in that. I'm not even someone that thinks of themselves as a writer, but I do a lot of writing. And for me, it's very difficult. I've had to work 20 years on, on creating a process to be able to, to first of all, have clarity and to be able to put something out worth reading, which I still am working towards, I think. And then also to consistently sit down and do it every day. Yeah. And that's the difference between, and I've heard this said before, and I, I will say it again, the difference between an amateur and a professional, right, is that they get in the chair every morning at 9 a.m. or whatever it is, and they do the work. They don't let anything detract them from the goal. And I think it's so far as I can tell, that's also true in the newsletter space,
1: Yeah, there's a Medium writer that I follow who writes a lot about mental models and thinking clearly, but he he said he was actually leaving Medium because it was putting constraints around his creativity. And he set up a newsletter on Substack. and I think the newsletter has done quite well since he launched it. But one of the ways he's providing additional content is, you know, he reads some of the articles out loud to his subscribers as an audio post. But I've also noticed his writing on Substack is is a bit more in-depth and involved. Then what might work in medium? Because, for example, he doesn't have to worry, you know, about writing clickbait or or, or viral headlines. I guess I'm also curious: can somebody like run a newsletter as their full time job? What could it take potentially an entire working week?
0: Yeah, well, it depends on the cadence. Okay, so if you accept that there's a baseline amount of work required to run a newsletter, right? You have to do all the administrative stuff that business consists of or that project consists of, which is you know, maintain your, your hosting or sub or whatever, yeah. answer emails that come in, deal with the billing stuff if you do have, you know, a pro uh, level membership or something like that. And then also like maintain the infrastructure, like the email infrastructure, all that stuff. You consider all that part of it. There's a baseline level of work that's required. And then you start adding in actually doing the work. Depending on what you're writing about, like I think it's really aggressive for a lot of people to say that they're going to write daily. I see those people. And this is, this is again, the consistency argument. Those people don't, maybe they do get in the chair every morning at 9 a.m., but they don't do it for very long. Most people can't do that. Like, I just haven't seen most people have success with that. So that's the first stumbling block. And I think and the biggest contributor to growth I've seen in newsletters is longevity. Like, how consistent are they over what period of time? And almost certainly, that's one of the reasons that people subscribe. People do look at that. If they're going to enter into an agreement with you to receive your newsletter, like they expect to receive it at the intervals that you've you've said you're going to do it. So
1: I, I agree with you saying about the nine a.m. point. Like I always recommend to people to write a little every morning, but it's at least I found it's not possible to turn what you write every morning into something that you can publish every afternoon. And even though, like I have, you have a writing routine in the morning, but I might only publish one or two articles a week based on you know that writing routine because you have to allow time for editing and for refining the piece of writing but i certainly agree that you know consistency can help when it comes to growth because uh, if you have more you'll get better at your craft and also you know you could potentially attract more readers more subscribers to the newsletter what does your writing routine look like at the moment yeah so for now
0: i get up in the morning and i try to do things the same way every day and that is just because i feel like a schedule helps me know what to count on and know what i'm responsible for and something about it just allowing me to be in control of my days. And I have a couple of you know young children and, and I don't always get to control my time. But when I do, I feel like I'm more productive. So I wake up, I have breakfast, I meditate, and then I work out and then I go straight into work. And for the first hour of my day, I write and that's it. And, and part of that writing is for myself. Much of that is for myself. In fact, it's a lot of journaling, but that helps me build clarity and that helps me get the things out of my mind so that I'm not reminding myself of it all day long. Right. So getting them out there onto paper is like fundamental to the way that I think and being able to have clarity and and focus on other things because my brain will keep reminding me of them. So then I sit down and I just start writing and I try to not use the, I I don't edit while I write. Like I think if I'm sitting down to write a newsletter, for example, for one of the projects, I never edit in that first session. And in fact, like I, I basically have three different sessions. The first is... I want to outline what I'm working on because I think coming up with the idea and then writing it are two different things. Those are two different, like collecting information. I don't want to be doing research as I'm trying to write something. Yeah, Because to me, those are very different mental modes. So I do all my research. I outline. I try to figure out what exactly I'm trying to say. And then I I put down the outline. And then I'll come back and I know what I'm going to write about. Now I just have to put it into words. And I have to try to explain it as clearly and as simply as possible. So I do that. And then I do a quick edit myself, just because I'm trying to get better at editing. And then I send it to my editor. I do have a copy editor, yeah. Um, and and she reviews all my stuff for the ridiculous punctuation mistakes and things that I make. Where did you find your copy editor? Uh, actually, from someone that was helping with the intermiller community. So she was editing for like sci-fi anthologies and things like that, and she was really approachable. So I, I don't really have a scientific process there, or, like. It was just a referral from a friend.
1: Yeah, no, I found my editor for my articles. She was a subscriber to my email list. She emailed me back to say there were some issues with one of my articles. And then she she sent me a lot of suggestions. So now, now we've been working with her for the past two years. So she she's really helped. And what about your, your research process for ideas? I mean, how does that work? Do you, are you looking at sites that you want to feature or ideas you have about conversion or perhaps a topic for any Mailer and saving it in to a file in your computer? Or are you doing something else?
0: Yeah, I wish I had a better process other than moving from Conversion Gold, which was the first version of that newsletter, I moved it to something called Panoply, which kind of removed all the friction for me because it was exactly what you're talking about. I'm having a difficult time answering because I'm like sweating because I'm like, I don't have a process. Like even now, I don't know how to explain what I do because I don't really understand it myself. Yep. And it was really hard for me even to choose one topic per month that I could speak about intelligently was... Like, really difficult to me because, you know, I had a lot of other things going on and it wasn't my sole focus. While I was doing marketing, I was trying to sell the sawdust from the workshop as opposed to doing it for its own end, meaning the newsletter. So, really, like, now what I do is I've given myself the freedom to be able to create what I'm interested in. And that looks like a lot of different things. I write about the marketing stuff when I have ideas. There's no promise to the subscriber, to the member, to the reader that I'm going to keep up any particular cadence. But it does work out that I seem to have one thing worth saying once a week. And for me, like a lot of those, I've also like, when you're charging for a newsletter, I felt like I had to make it 1,500, 2,000, 3,000 words. I felt like I had to do that. I had to hit a certain word count. And that's friction to my process. Yeah. Now I've given myself, since I'm not charging for all of my content, I've given myself the freedom to only write as much as necessary. I have things on the site that are 300 words that I think are killer. I think they're great pieces. I think they're great ideas. And I think they're valuable. But the difference is that now I give away pretty much everything for free. And then I I built like a course on spaced repetition, which is totally, at first glance, non-obvious and orthogonal to marketers. But I realized that what I was creating on the site and the things that you get when you become a member are not more information about marketing, but but ways to generate an edge, things that are also useful to marketers, and that's the idea. Like I feel like that's aligned. Everything's aligned there. I get to create what I think is useful, and I get to show it to everybody. And then I got this other stuff. If you want to support the project,
1: mm. there's a there's a process for c- capturing notes and organizing ideas called the slip box. Uh, so if you Google the slip box afterwards, but I think it helped me get a process for research. It basically, involves writing ideas on either index cards or in an app on your computer. But it's definitely worth looking up. Just a couple of questions that beginners might get stuck on. So firstly, what's a good name these days for a newsletter? Or how does somebody decide on the name for their newsletter? Should they go with their own name or something else?
0: I think something else. And that's only because like I'm incredibly scared to be part of the conversation in a way that ties directly back to my like, <laughs> like so that's why I didn't call it, you know, TerryGodeer.com. Yeah. Right. Like I, I just think that there's some level of that's a little bit too much spotlight for me. Yeah. So that is a subjective personal opinion more than it is like, this is what you should do. Now, of course, if you were Ellen DeGeneres or something, you should probably call it the Ellen DeGeneres newsletter. I think that's, you know, basic marketing. A good name is something clever. It seems to me like like cynicism, for example, right? Like it covers China. I think that's, that's really, really clever. And then Stratekery is really about the strategy behind tech. I think that's also clever. Cleaning the Glass, I think, is about the NBA and that's a, another large newsletter. Yeah. So I think that that makes sense too. So really title it like you might a book perhaps. Yeah. Uh,
1: okay. And then in terms of monetizing the newsletter, when I joined Indie Mailer, I know you, you had a good few pieces of advice about that, but the, it seems like between nine and $30 is, is the typical price or maybe even $50 for a year for the bigger newsletters. Has that been your experience or have you seen otherwise?
0: Yeah. So this is something that I think should be tested. In fact, like my project, I've done this with newsletters. So the easiest example and the most obvious choice is to charge $10 a month. Yeah, That's what the vast majority of people are doing. Or, you know, if they're clever about it, $9 because, you know, what's the difference yeah. really? But it, it seems psychologically different. So $9 a month, and then you, you intuit out from that, you give a little bit of a discount, and that's $100 per year. I think it starts to really feel like a bargain at $50 a year, and I see people doing that and they're doing it with five issues a week yeah, or what have you, right? Like, so with Panoply, what I did, I don't want to do a cadence. So I did $29 a year, which is just, in my opinion, absurd because <laughs> I also, and I wanted it to feel that way. I wanted to be like, that's kind of ridiculous. $2.42 a month or something like that, right? Like it's, it's kind of very low because conversion gold was $10 a month is what it was and all the content is there, you know? So for me, like, I think at this point, when you're early on, and and building the newsletter business, for example, I don't think you should worry about that as much. I think that what I'm really looking to do is build a highly opted-in audience yeah, as opposed to build a highly profitable business. I can do that in the future. But this thing really only matters if people care about it. This thing really only is going to exist in the future if I have people reading it today. That's the way that I've often felt about it. So for me, it was, how do I get the most amount of people in the door and gain that highly opt in an audience and I can figure out the money side later. But I think there does need to be a cost of admission. And I think there's something much more intimate in doing like the experiments with the paid content and the pro content. And there's a different relationship that's kind of inferred by having people exchange a little bit of money for for what you're doing. It's much different. It keeps out all the gawkers, right? Like it's it's better.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that. And if some people get hung up on a publishing schedule is, is once a week enough to get started. Yeah, I think twice a month is is absolutely fine
0: as well. Uh, that's what I did, and people are very happy with that. Like, it just really depends. Like, I don't think that you should settle on that until you understand how you're going to be able to do it. So, I would write like five, six issues before you even start, because it's also best to kind of begin once you've got a little bit of a voice and you figured out your process a little bit. You might find that you can't write about that every day, and that's what you had chosen to do. But you can write about it once a week.
1: Any thoughts on turning a newsletter into audio content? I think it's a great idea.
0: I do think it's a great idea. I think it's also a good idea if you're going to do audio. I would also syndicate to YouTube. And that's also, that's A, it's a it's a utility. I think there are certain people that don't want to read and you know everybody's schedule is getting more and more cramped and attention is more and more scarce and it's much easier to put on Podcast, which is kind of what that would be, yeah. uh, and while you're doing the dishes or, or you know working out or whatever, some people that's the only way that they'll they'll experience your content. You open up a much larger audience. But secondly, from a discovery standpoint, you know YouTube is the the second biggest search engine after Google, right? And then like podcasting is fairly fairly big, like Spotify and so on. Like your distribution is much larger, and your chance of being found is much larger. Okay. And finally, there's still a little bit
1: to it. So if somebody joined IndieMailer, if I remember correctly, there's a thread where you can start your story. So what should people do if they want to you know, get the most out of a community like IndieMailer to to start and take their newsletter to the next level?
0: Yeah. The number one thing to do uh, is to start a journey thread. And that's what we call them there. And this is something that I took from various other forums I've been a member of over the years. Tell people what you're doing, share what you're doing as you're doing it, and ask for feedback along the way. That's the... Number one way that the community can help you. And in fact, when most people have done that, they end up with subscribers from the community. And then those people, you're on a shared journey. And that's the entire idea behind all of it because they help you with your thinking. And secondly, sometimes they help you with your promotion, they'll help you get discovered. But another important aspect of it is the accountability. Like, you know, we go back into the threads and say, well, I haven't heard from you in a little bit. How's this going? Or I saw that you did this or what have you. That happens. Yeah. And when you know that you have other people paying attention to what you're doing, I think you're more more likely to follow through. And that is unbelievably important at the very, very beginning. Like, Because it's so easy when you're writing for an audience of zero or maybe yourself, it's so easy to feel like you're not doing something worth continuing. And I'm sure that even really big creators struggle with that sometimes too. So having that accountability just to to circle back and follow up and say that I'm doing something makes you want to do something worth writing about again in the forum.
1: Yeah, I'd say they, they also the book, The War of Arts, helps if anybody's struggling with, with that issue. So Terry, where can people find out more information about you, Panoply or IndieMailer?
0: Yeah. So you can go to IndieMailer.com or you can go to Panoply, which is a weird Libyan domain. Yeah. P-A-N-O-P dot L Y. Yeah. And if you don't want to spell it, you can just go to I can't spell dot com. And if you forget that, you can go to whatisitagain.com and that will get you to Panoply. That's
1: very clever. <laughs> I like that. Well, thank you for your time. It was great to talk to you today, Terry. Yeah, thank you very much for having me on. I hope you enjoyed this podcast episode. If you did, please leave a rating on the iTunes store. And if you want to accomplish more with your writing, please visit becomearitertoday.com forward slash join and I'll send you a free email course. Thanks for listening.